0: Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmayla. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we'll be continuing our series on the halachis of war. Warfare. We're going to start, we have a, a brief interview with Rav Moshe Rothberg, the Rav of Hatzalah, in Lakewood and Tom's River. And we're going to dis- discuss the Notori Karta. They march with the Palestinians, with Ahmadinejad. And the question is, it's Shabbos, and you want to send a Hatzalah car, You got a call from a, a Notori Karta. Do they have a din of my and Vilei Malin? Are the they, the, the Metsar Harabim of Klal Yisrael, like Shachan Arach discusses, at a halacha that you're not in Matzal them. Would a hatzal a car be allowed to go out and uh, drive and go get them? or is he Mechal Shabbos? Then we're going to have Rabbi Shalom Brody. He's uh, wrote a road of Sefer on the halachas of Molchama. And we're going to discuss with him, does the conflict in Gaza qualify as a Molchamas mitzvah? We'll go through the Reis. Do you have to come from distant lands? Are students from yeshivas required to participate? And then we're going to ask him the question we got from the general of the helicopters in Eretz He said he was following a, a terrorist uh, in Gaza from on high, from deep high in the sky. He couldn't see him, and he's following him. Like, and he's about to shoot a missile to kill him, and he jumps into a, a taxi or an autobus. Are you allowed to blow up the taxi and kill the driver, or the, if it's a bus, the, the other people in the bus, even though they they didn't do anything, right? How are you going to say everybody is Rishonim like Pesachim? Well. Let's say there's this, this babies on there. And even though by Ben-Saira and Moira it's all same cipher, you don't see, find that the halacha that it could be same. So can you kill the children? Whoever else is innocent. Here's another question. Is there a khiev to bury terrorists, according to halacha? So we'll continue the halachas of warfare. And then we're going to have on the preeminent expert in Israel and in the United States. He's a legal scholar of international war from Eid, Professor Eugene Kantarovich. He's going to talk about the laws of war according to the Geneva Convention and how they match up with halachas of warfare uh, by Klael Yisrael. So it should make for a very interesting program. Before we go to our guests, I'd like to say a short vart, and I want to preface this by saying I am not a machanach, All right? It's something I, 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 I didn't perfect, I didn't study. So what I'm saying is a and you'll ask your local machanach whether I'm right or I'm wrong. What do you do if you have a kid? He's off the derach, or he's just, he's bad, a bad kid. If there is such a thing as a bad kid, certainly his behavior is bad. How's that? He's either Machal Shabbos, doesn't put on fillin, whatever the case may be. So many different levels of beer. This week says, Yitzchak loves Esav. And he never says, by the way, that he loves Yaakov, interestingly, but it says that he loves Esav, and he, then he wants to give the brachas to Esav. And the question is, how could Yitzchak be so blind and not see the chasrainus of, of Esav? I want to ask Halacha the Kishai, I will take it on to this, because this is a Halacha program. Shulchan Aruch in of Katen Hayen Yeridea says that a mummer, his shchita is pasal. And the Bach says it's midrabanan, but the Shach and Reif Pais argue and they say it's, 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 it's pasal mid-raisek, because he has a din ka'akam. For some reason, what's a what's a, what's a, what's a, a, a mummer a la vayda zara, like, cetera, right? Machal Shabbos, la vayda So here's the question. At his bar mitzvah Esav was a mechal Shabbos, and he was a uh, he was a right sayach and bal naramarasa. That's what Rashi says in the beginning of the parasha. By his Bar mitzvah, he's real. He was really bad. It says he came be betani my bad, right? But whatever that means. But here he's so. How was he said? Havali matamim, bring me delicious food. I'll eat from your from your shchita. How was he allowed to eat from it when it was a mum, or his puzzle? So I want to say a uh, avart. I want to say that a father is never supposed to see his son as bad, a child as bad. His son isn't Shema Shabbos, at least in front of you. He's, he, he acts nicely, but away from you, he does what he wants. In front of me is Shema Shabbos. That's all I could see. I don't ask if you put on film. I don't want to know. I assume you do. Because if you could continue believing in the child, even though he's bad, who knows where it'll take you? We don't know what impact it had on Esav, but we do know Esav doesn't kill Yaakov when he has the opportunity. So something that Yitzhak did remained in him. And it's interesting, Esav's son is Aliphaz. And it says, Rashi says, Esav, Aliphaz, father of Amalek, was in the skaddle on, on the lap of Yitzhak. And Yitzhak loved him. He has the opportunity to kill Yaakov, and he doesn't. So something remained of that trust, of that love. So maybe Yitzhak is teaching us a lesson. A father doesn't see. He's yours. You created him. He's your responsibility. I'm going to see the aspirational child. And I have a raya. In the Haggadah it says, to the Ben HaRash of And the Pasik that gives a long answer what you tell the, the Ben HaRash, more even than that in the Haggadah. Now the question is, the Shulchan Aruch, it's like in around Semin in that area, says that you're not allowed to enter into Divrei Torah with a rasha. Right, it's Zorak Evan it causes bad, it causes harm. So why in the Haggadah do we have the father entering into a conversation with the Ben, who the Torah calls a Russia? What's the heter of the of the father to uh and the answer is same answer A father doesn't see their child as a Russia. Your job the world will already see him as a when he looks at you he should say My father believes in me. And that's why the Pasik says by the ben Sadek or the other ones says Viha Ki bin your son, by the Russia doesn't say Kishalcha Why doesn't it say Kishalcha Because the father never sees the child as a Russia. K'yaymru aleichem b'neichem. Now we're talking of philosophical things. There are going to be Rashaim in Kalal Yisrael. So by these Rashaim, how do we respond to them? But the father, he never sees his child as a Russia. The University of Chicago did a, a long study on this. It says fathers who believe in their children or in their sons, it has an impact on them the rest of their lives. Others have said this too. Bankston, m- many psychologists have said that. And there's a verse from the, the great Baal Shemtev. What did he say? The Chama never saw the dark side of the moon. So the Baal Shemtev says, The Chama is the Mashpia. It could be the father. The Lavana is the Makabel, It could be a child. Could be somebody who's makabul. The job of the Chama is never to see the dark side of the moon. I only see the bright side of the moon. So the question is how is he allowed to eat from the shkita? I'm saying agreed. It's because he never saw his, he never saw the dark side of him. He wouldn't accept it. And how are you allowed to say Tayra, To the child is a Russia? A Rebbe's not allowed or to do Aruch Paskins. Doesn't say that a father can, a father always can, and that's why he answers the Benarussha. Father's job is to only see the aspirational child. And if we can do that, who knows? Sometimes, many times the child will that side, that beautiful side you saw in your child will come to life. So what is the what is the tira, What are we supposed to look at this week's parsha? Say, I not the Machanach. learn from Esav how to treat the son, the woebegone son. And as bad as your son is, he wasn't as bad as Esav. That's for sure. Esav he was he mi Mibeta nimai, while he was still in utero. He was running to be slavay on the day of his bar mitzvah. He killed. He was baal Naramurasa right? So, as bad as he is, the very baddest, Yitzchak showed us the way, only see the good, love the child, and with that, who knows where it will go. Now, here's the interesting thing. Even though Rivka knew the truth, she never tells Yitzchak that Esau is a Russia. even when she can. She has two opportunities. One opportunity is, to... her husband is a Navi, right? She doesn't tell Yitzchak, that one of the children is going, She goes to Shemve It seems she doesn't want Yitzchak to know. And the next thing you see is at the end of the parser, when she hears that Asav wants to kill Yaakov, she goes to Yitzchak and she says, Send Yaakov away. She doesn't say because he wants to kill Yaakov, that Esav wants to kill him, which would reveal to Yitzchak the truth. Instead, she says, Because. She also understands that Aesop has to believe that his father, you know, loves him. That Yitzchak should continue believing in Aesop, even though she knew the truth. So this concept that both parents have to do their best, at least one of them should believe in the child, you see that from Yitzchak and Rivka. Last night I gave a share and a whole bunch of people jumped to me. It was a, a big show on the island. They asked me to say this year, and I I, I, was, I was able to. And um, they asked me, um, what do you believe? Like the rally should, should you know, is it wrong to have not to have gone, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And I said, you know, it's it's something that really needs Eun. And we need. I'll we'll speak about it next week. All right? So that will be next week's topic. I hope to see the rally. Was there a Sad not to go? Recognizing that I don't think not a single speaker was religious. Which means, to a certain extent, they did, snub, they did snub the religious people, you could say, at some level. Even though, on the other hand, you could say it wasn't supposed to be a religious ladder. It was supposed to be a political rally. And politically, it was very successful. And uh, the people who went there, my wife was there, I was, uh, I said it was a real matzah of Aliyah by the rally. So that'll be a next week's topic. Let's go now to our riddle of the week. Two riddles. What is... Yitzchak tell Yaakov, Now here's the question. How does he call him Avram when the Shulchan Aruch says, A person is not a call his father Bishmay any time, even after his death? He says, Abba Murray, you never mentioned call your father by his name. Would you say your father's name? And here, Yitzchak does it. It's against the Shulchan Aruch. How could he do it? That's the first question. Here's the next question. He sells the B'chaira for a pile of beans. Hadashim lentils. And what are we paskin? I know. When is it considered that you're ripping somebody off? You're jipping him if it's more than a shestos. If it's more than if you're paying uh, less than a sixth of the value. A one-sixth differential in the value. If there's a if there's a sixth would be, I don't know, a, a 16% differential in price, you're either overpaying or underpaying, that has a din of a nah. So if I, if I sell you something, I don't know the value, and you pay me what would be basically more than 16% less than what it's worth, you rip me off. You can't sell me like a, a golden share that's worth $50,000 for $1,000. That's a Now, the Bahira which was the whole Hasidus of Chal Yisrael, was certainly worth more than a, than a pile of beans, a pile of lentils. So why was the, why was the Mechira Chal at all? Why, if he went to Bez, then he would have said, look, I was ripped off. I sold it for a pile of beans. I didn't know what it was worth. It obviously was worth much more. So how is the entire sale of the Bechira, of Esav to Yaakov, the purchase of Yaakov, how is it even Chal? And in effect, Esav should have still owned the Bechira. That is our second riddle of the week. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33 11 In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh 304 Now let's go to our wonderful guests.
1: Joining us from Lakewood, New Jersey, is Rav Moshe Rothberg. He's a Magichir, and he's the Paisic of Hatzalah in Lakewood. Welcome, Rav Moshe.
2: Thank you so much. A pleasure to be back on.
1: You're the Rav of Hatzalah, right, in Lakewood, um, yeah. so yeah. I want to yeah. ask you, Shaila. Take The Natori character are marching with the, with the Palestinians, and somebody sent me a, a TikTok. that got got 100,000 likes with Arabic writing. In other words, the rabbis agree with us. Right. So to me, there. Here's the shayla. The traders and the gemara. The gemara says The, the Shulchan says in in Shen Pefes that a meitzar harabim.
2: Yeah.
1: Somebody causes grief to the rabim. Right. Is the Allah is is have a din of a roidif. Right? You want to give them over. So if you could give them over to the to the Goyim, or have a din of a roidif, If you could, you would be able to kill them. We all do that today. So there's certainly no din of Hatzalah on them. So if. Uh, Hatzalah got a call on Shabbos that one of these notorious character guys, you know, is, is holding by Pegering and they want they're calling, you should come. L'chaira, if there's no din Hatzalah, in fact, it's a din of reason V'Lei Malin, right, Hatzalah would not be allowed to be Mechal Shabbos. What would you say to that?
2: First of all, I don't remember there being a din of meridin v'leimmalin by a moiser. It's more of like can I, like you let us stop the you let us stop him from hurting people. But is he a din of meridin v'leimmalin? I know by, by a mummer there is unless they have a din mummer. Sure, a moiser that's even doing counterfeit money. Right? You're, you're, you're allowed to give him over. Right, and even he if he's going to get killed, does that right. mean that such a person
1: is meridin v'leimmalin? But but look, if if you're supposed to get if if, you, if there's a din to give him over. Right, even if he's going to get killed, you can't be a din of on the guy you're supposed to kill, right?
2: That, that, no, so that, 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 thing, that jump right there it seems logical, but I wonder whether, 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 whether it's in fact a ha- it's mocha. So Let me like ask that. you a question.
1: So a raidif right is a guy. So, so, dumb. So, so somebody comes, and he's running after him to kill the raidif, right, right? Another guy comes, and he says, oh my goodness, this raidif right is in danger. Let me be matzol the raidif. Right,
2: right.
1: Would there be a din to be matzal the raidif? Right
2: the if from the person that's killing him. No, 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 not
1: from, not from Zimri. A third. There's, there's a guy who's running after Chaver Lahargai. Okay. So, so somebody comes to to, to be matzah. Oh, he's oh, running oh, after he the roidif. Right. And another guy comes. He's oh my goodness. He's trying to shoot the roidif. Right I'm going to save the roidif right because I want to save a Jew. Mm-hmm. So it's it's illogical that there should be a din of atzolah on somebody who does a din of uh, uh, a mitzvah alt right if right?
2: Right, right, but the, but that the, the issue over there is that it's, it's that by roidif is a din ledomim. Right. That's why. That's why. So so. So, so by if a the Shalchan
1: says, as the Shalchan says, that a moiser is me din roidif, That's all
2: the dinim of roidif. Uh,
1: yeah, and the and din of therefore a meter harabim or uh, or the counterfeiter. You, you give him over because he has a din roidif. So I want to say would come out that it would be asaf aratzala to go to the Torah uh, 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 uh to guy's house on Shabbos. He'd be a mechal Shabbos. Very,
2: very interesting. I want, I want to. I want to. Where is that? Where is that? that
1: other The shin pesh around. It's around. It's like Zion. You know, it's cut in Zion. I'm self enough in front of me.
2: Well, I had another very a uh, uh, which, which was,
1: yeah. now, I'll just tell, you, just tell me my other Tzad, that I would say why not? I think this is a, re- a right judgment. but my Tzad, why not would be is because it could be that they don't have it in right, if because people look at them like Meshigayim. even the Arabs look at them like mishegayim. I don't know the answer to that.
2: Uh, so that, the but, other yeah. thing I was thinking is. is but they could still
1: be a mate to harabim. I mean, even oh, if see, the are really
2: You know this a lot better than me, but let's say let's say I want to suit suit. Yeah, I want to sue you for slander. So when I go to court I have to prove that you caused me harm. Okay. My shadow is that that any guy that's going to this interior moshogna and liking it, are, are they? Is anybody developing opinions based on this or are these people who are Mishigai, and They like this video and they like the next moshogna and they like the guy from 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 England. And the,
1: so, is, seems, are they doing damage? That's the question. Are they? Or are they not? Right. Doing damage? Are they doing that's the
2: damage? Not, that's the thing. you have to be you able know, to prove that they're doing damage, like like in, in law, like slander? Okay. Show me that you had a law. Show me that I hurt you. So, so my that's, that's other... Yeah, but on the other
1: yeah, hand, he, on the other hand, he. You, the argument you say he certainly a Saharab, and
2: people certainly are deeply aggravated by what they're doing, right? No, for sure, for sure. But that doesn't mean because they're saying that even the Jews are against it. So they said, but my is, let's say that you, you have a guy who's not who's not doing anything with Eretz Yisrael. Let's say you have a guy who, who's on the subway and he doesn't get up for a pregnant woman. And the the, the gold video, this rav is a rabbi Chassid Shalom. He's with his hat and jacket. He's sitting there learning, and and he doesn't stand up for a pregnant woman. It goes viral. He gets a gets a million get uh, yeah, whatever all over the place. Is that called a meitzer shabbos?
1: I would I would find that hard to say is a meitzer shabbos.
2: Right. Even though, technically, that could cause a worse stereotype and go viral for the doidae more than some Mishigoyim who's getting a blurb now and in one, in two weeks with his disease fire, it's over.
1: Yeah, but I, I would but, say, I would say, Mishigoyim, that not getting up on the subway, if that's the getter that you become a, a mate to Harabim, that's a lot of the fact that somebody The fact that somebody made a video that is just bad luck. You know what I mean? But, Madden, but not not Madden. getting up on the... Whereas marching w- with enemy, with your lavush, going to Hamas, going to Ahmadinejad, and, these, and marching with them, the argument would be is that's much... That's, a, that's oh. an act of a Haraba. It's not an act of a so I
2: Haraba. I thought you were coming from there. I did not know how you were going to be when When you were started asking the question, I thought that's where you were going to China, which means like this. If I go, if, 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 if Hitler is marching now, and I have a bunch of secular Jews that say, you know what, you're right, you need Judenrein... And they go and dance. They go march with 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 Hitler. That, to me, that if you're joining forces with 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 such a shame. I mean, you, you're joining them. I wonder also that in itself is that it would be meitah empowering them, emboldening them. Yeah, I think so. You know, validating them. Yeah, it's a, it's a
3: good. That's a,
1: such a great shot So I'm just I'm just being shelling as a rav of I don't sh- know sh- if you have in any <laughs> notary
2: character in your area, but I would say la it would be awesome. When I give that solo tonight, can I say this over this? Question
1: Absolutely, An asylum to some yeah.
2: we're going to talk about it tonight, and there's,
1: uh, there's,
3: uh, yeah, having most of in the documents Okay, Agresti, okay. how uh, Thank to, you, thank you, you can get
1: Thank you, Joining us is Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Brody. He's the executive director of Amitai. It's a not-for-profit uh, that helps the dilemmas of end-of-life care. He's a a Jewish law live columnist for the Jerusalem Post. He was a Rebbe for many years at Yeshiv, 10 years at Yeshiva HaKaisel. He writes in Torah journals and magazines. And his Sefer, A Guide to the Complex Contemporary Halachic Debates, it won a national award. And his newest Sefer, Ethics of Our Fighters, A Jewish View on War and Mortality, is coming up. It's going to be published in the coming weeks, and that's what we're going to be discussing. Halachis of Jewish War, welcome Rabbi Brody.
4: Thanks so much. Great to be with you. So, Rabbi Brody, would you say the war in Gaza is it a mechamis mitzvah or not? I think it's clearly a mechamis mitzvah. I mean, the classic example is we're being attacked and we're coming to be uh, uh, under attack and coming to defend ourselves. One of the three categories of mechamis mitzvah according to the Rambam is, you know, knan, of course, and Amalek, and then this case of self-defense wars. It's hard to see how it's not mechamis mitzvah. I mean, but I think the lashon
1: Rambam is is it's by a melech and there's no melech there. so. A melech would mean bisman abayis, or So could it be that tzar ha can that to there's a melech?
4: I don't think so. The Me'iri in the Sota already says that it could be the melech or those who are leading manhigim of the Jewish people. Barbanel says in Tvarim as well, parikov. I think it's been understood that the melech can be replaced in one form or another by leaders of the Jewish people who have the right and obligation, not just right, to defend the Jewish people. And that's milchemist mitzvah.
1: Okay, and I would just add on to that that the, the Ramban and the Sefer Amitzvah also says that exact Russian. He says, Melech or Sharmanig, something to that, to that uh, language.
4: So, um, Absolutely.
1: Would people from America have to join for a Mohammed Mitzvah?
4: So, in general, Mohammed Mitzvah is obligation on all, all Jews, you know, the Russian and the Mishnah and Sotas, a Koyotin, a Filo khatam, a Kalam And uh, that would imply that everyone is obligated, but, you know, we don't have to. We should fight, of course, in an organized way. So if you're fighting in an organized way, and depending on who the Jewish people need, uh, those are the people that need to come out to, to fight. Uh, I don't think, Baruch Hashem, we're in a situation where we need people coming from America to fight. Uh, but in theory, we're all obligated to be a part of the defense of the Jewish people. And if we're not fighting, then we should be doing other things to help the Jewish people.
1: So let me ask you a question.
4: I, I got this question from the head of helicopters
1: in the Israeli uh, Air Force. He says he's following a terrorist. So he says it was like an hour or two. They have him. He's pinging him. They have, like, you know, data how they can follow his phone. And finally, he comes out into the open. He's about to pull up a trigger to kill him with a missile. And the guy jumps into a taxi. He says, am I allowed to kill the taxi driver, too, because the taxi is going to blow up or not?
4: So I think the answer is yes. Uh, The the terrorist here is a clear threat, he's one of the uh, mohamim, one of the fighters. And, uh, and those situations, our target of those situations, of course, is the terrorists. Now, it could be the taxi driver is unwitting, right? He doesn't take him bomb, Maybe he's involuntarily helping him. could be, of course, he's helping him purposely, in which case he's he aiding just, and abetting sort of thing. Yeah, he waved down right. the taxi. He waved down the taxi and jumped into a taxi. Yes, so uh, unfortunately, and this is one of the things that makes war different. From regular cases of self defense. Then the chief makes this point in the parashat, the Noah, where he says that the minigal of Alolam is that we allow for a certain killing, which is different than we normally would in case of self defense when it comes to war. And in this case, we're targeting the fighter, and unfortunately, the taxi driver uh, is going to die with him as what we call collateral damage. Now, that's a tragic fact of war, but in order to defend ourselves during war, we have to kill those that are fighting against us. Okay, what's well, say he jumped
1: onto a, uh, a bus that had 30 or 40 people on it.
4: So it depends a little bit here in that situation about how much of a threat this person is, this terrorist is. Because it's tragic situation, of course, he's on a bus. But if he's using the bus and, and we won't be able to get him at another time, another occasion, in order and then before he would kill uh, Jews and kill shoot at us, then we'd have to take him out beforehand and unfortunately that would uh, kill or endanger other people as well. Now clearly, in that case, you know, we want to have a situation where, if possible, we can isolate him and separate him from the others, the non-combatants. Now, that's certainly a goal we should have. was very uh, forceful about this fact and we should try when possible in order to minimize casualties on the other side. Shulma first chief rabbi of the IDF, said the same thing as well. But when push comes to shove, Chris, he's going to be going to this bus and he'll be shooting from the bus and uh, targeting us and possibly No, he's not engages. shooting from the bus.
1: So, the bus is a city bus. It's, it's taking people from one place to the
4: other. So in that case, we'd have to make a, a judgment call. Do we think we can get this guy another scenario? Let's well, say so you can't. And so if you can't, well, it depends what you can't. So if he's going to run off, and uh, and then we'll have to fight him another day, you have to make a decision whether you think we can get him on another day or not. But if it's a suspect where you feel that he's going to be able to uh, kill us before we can get to him, uh, then this might be our only opportunity to do it. In the Western world, they call this the question of proportionality. Proportionality means that you always take into account the military advantage for what you're doing, Uh, and came into account the collateral damage that will come alongside with it, the civilians and others with it. So again, in this case, you know, if there wasn't an armed fighter, if he wasn't a clear and present danger, I wouldn't stop shoot a bus and kill 30, 40 people just to take out one uh, foot teller, so to speak. But if it's a situation where you're afraid he's really going to be clear and present danger, uh, you got to take him out. Unfortunately, that's the situation. So you'd blow the the bus, you could blow like
1: the bus up too? You could, Let's say he wouldn't run into a bus. He'd run into a, an apartment building with, I don't know, it could be 100 people. Could you? What could you, could you do with that too?
4: So once again, the question we have to ask is what is the advantage that we're gaining from killing him in this situation, given the threat he'd be, uh, compared to all the people that might die with him? I mean, we clearly don't want to see people for a lot of reasons, strategic reasons, of course, sort of straight up uh, ethical, halakhic rationale, that we don't want to see people being killed who aren't a danger to us. Um, and that that's part of the dilemma that we have today. But if he's gonna run into that apartment building and take out uh, some form of uh, significant weapon and shoot at us, and we don't have a way of protecting ourselves otherwise, uh, we have to neutralize him. Clearly we try to neutralize that threat in a way which would minimize damage. So you know we try to shoot him of course with a sniper, or maybe try to take him out as target a targeted kill of some form or another. But I think halacha allows us some form of flexibility of judgment, which says that when push comes to shove, we have to prioritize protecting our own people.
1: Like when you say halacha, I mean, the nitziv
4: is on Chumash. Is there any halacha that says this? So it's always an interesting question. In general, we didn't have many makor that spec- spoke about this, and certainly halacha and spoke about this for many centuries. But I think actually... Um, there are a number, a few very interesting sources where we talk about in Devarim and Berachos. There we speak about Kohzchura. They're trying to. Kill uh, the fighters against us. We have permission to kill the fighters against us. And if you look at the Mepharshim, you look at it actually in the Tiv there and also of Dabit there, they speak about this idea that we should target the Luchamim, that that is the people that we should be doing. And in fact, we now have a writing on the Sefer Mitzvah, the Saadigon, in which he says that explicitly as well, on the earliest Makara that referred to this. So I think the notion of targeting, of being discriminating in terms of who we shoot at, is an important one. But there are, of also that speak about this idea of understanding that there's a collective fate during wartime. War is a collective affair and sometimes other people are going to die as well.
1: I'm curious, have you found a a halachic source for the non druish source?
4: Well, I think the best source that speaks about this idea is the Sifri in Bamidbar, which talks about the idea that we keep a fourth side open when we lay a siege. This is a sheet of Rabbi that's brought down. La uh, lacha by both the Rambam and the
1: Rambam, Rambam. Rambam. Yeah.
4: and the Ramban as well. By the way, right. yeah. and as well, and they both say it uh, that uh, the purpose is twofold. The Rambam explicitly says this. It's partly because we should show even Rachemin, even on our enemy sides in a time of war. It's also a strategic fact. If people know they have a way of staying alive, if they don't fight against us, they'll run instead of fighting to the death. And that's beneficial to us. I think that's a very important makor, which teaches us this idea of saying we don't want to kill everyone. We want to try to just kill those threats to us. Is but there any, right me me- me- any halachic m'choir that coll-
1: uh, collateral damage is either permitted or not permitted? I know, I know I there's an mitzvah me- in in Um um There's a you know there, there are various mafarshim and chumash. Is there any halachic makayr that talks about a collateral damage of of, of others?
4: No, I don't think there's something really specific here that really addresses in one form or another that shayach. I'm working on the assumption that the mitzvah of shiva K'nanim, And against the Molech, they don't exist anymore. And so those aren't going to be guiding us in these circumstances. And that being the case, you know, I I think that we don't have so much explicit about collateral damage as in Mefura Shalacha. We just didn't deal with this issue for many centuries. And so we don't have as much as we like to on these situations. But I think we can derive it. Uh, Sometimes we have to derive. Uh, ideas from from uh, from Tanakh as well, right? Um, and that's important.
1: Let's go to yeshiva Bachram If it's a Mohammed mitzvah, the
4: yeshiva students need to participate. I, I think that's correct. Meaning, I, I always tell people you should take a look at Rav Zevin Zitl wrote. In 1948, he wrote it under the title as one well of the Hadamer Rabbani, where he sort of did it anonymously. But it's very clear it's from him. And he says to the first, right there and then, he says, I don't understand. We're in mortal danger. Uh, where does this idea come from that we should think that the Shiva Bachrim shouldn't uh, go and fight, uh, fight and save all of us? Why should someone else be saving us? The Yeshiva should be saving us. Uh, you know, it's the first passage in the Torah, right? He but right? Moshe Rabbeinu says it to to the people on the other side of the Yarden. So uh, I think the Bacham have to go on a fight as well.
1: So I'll tell you the other side of it. Um, the Rambam brings that shaved Levi does not go to Mohaba.
4: Yeah. So uh, you know the Rambam says this at the very end of the. <inaudible> law of the Yeah. Exactly. And he also refers to all people. By the way, some right. person think he's even referring to non-Jews. Right. right? so this is, you know, I, I get the Svarah. Uh, I think what, what Zevin says, and what others have said over many years, is this is not uh at all in the Rambam.
1: And, no, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's just a lusher. And Rambam a on Levi, ain't there's
4: no doubt about that. No, for sure, about Sheven Levi. But, Levy, but uh, how do we decide who and Levi today? And how does this operate? Uh is man uh, I no, so, so
1: what they do is, is that they say the, the continuation of the is, But anybody could, you know, uh, could say that I am part of the army of Hashem, basically, and I c- commit myself totally to be, you know, to, to being, you know, a, a, a guf rufni, etc. So I saw that um, Chaim Kenevsky said, Yeshiva Bachram, have the din of B'nai Levi. That's how he... Uh,
4: I'm, 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 there's no doubt there's been a long-standing machove postkim on this issue, uh, but my my view is of those uh, I side with those postkim who feel that uh, this is not a mafurish uh, halacha here that people can apply this uh, sort of superficially or artificially in terms of deciding who's pareve and levi. And I think intuitively we understand we see the story in the Torah with Moshe and the two you know, shvatim, and we understand that the responsibility for every person and time of Mitzvah is khatam mechadro that, kalam mechupata. That's sort uh, of the Mephura on this. Uh, it's the Rambam says we don't see this idea in other places beforehand. Uh, and I, I think you're seeing today in Eretz Yisrael also, a number mm-hmm. of uh, yeshiva bachram. Uh, of course, there've always been yeshiva bachram in the Dati Ilumi world, who have been both learning and fighting. But you see this now in the Olam Yeshivot and the more Haredi Yeshiva Shailam, however you want to call it. We're also asking, maybe we should be joining fighting as well today. We'll see where it goes. It's a long saying, Machokis uh, Boski, Eilu Um But but I, I stand on the side of saying Yeshiva Bachrim should be fighting. When I was Rebbing yeshiva Kotel for a number of years, uh, we had many Bachrim who went and fought and fought nobly, and uh, I think it's a massive kiddush Hashem. So here's here's what um, you know. Looking at what Rahim Chaim Kinevsky
1: wrote, here are some considerations. The Rambam writes, Shevet Levi's Ain Urf and The Rambam in the beginning of Bamidbar says the exact opposite. Uh, Aches sheved Levi. He says to be that sheved Levi is iruk. Well, I would think they're not iruk Khama, He says that they are iruk Khama. So we don't know. You know, this is you know whether we pass like the Rambam and the Shayla Now, in the Rambam himself, who says as sheved Levi. So the question is, is he talking about molchamas Rishos or molchamas mitzvah? So the Karanaira on the Gemara and Saita brings that the Rambam is talking about a Mohammed Rishos, but in a Molchamas Mitzvah, even shavit Levi would have to go too. So you could say that, you know, somebody says, I'm part of shavit Levi like the Rambam says, but you now have multiple stubs in what you have to counter with. One is, do we possibly invent that why Shevet Levi? Two, if it's shavit Levi. Is it a mitzvah or Mohammed's rishos? And three, when the Ramam says anybody can be like Shevet Levi, is he? Does that mean they get all the halachic considerations of of Shevet Levi who's just saying it in one particular point? Like if somebody's not Varucha Elias Shavuot Levi, he's not going to be Shaney, we could assume, right? After a kain, because he was uh, because he was not varuchai Elias Shavuot Levi. So I mean, and he and he, and he, can't, and he, and he can't eat, you know, um, 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 which we will call it, matnas kahuna, because it was not varuchai. So how far does this extension of anybody can be like Shevet levy continue so if he can't eat if he can't eat and additionally he's not going to be able to and he can't do Amigas, he can't do Shira if does it also mean but when it comes to serving here he can be like Shevet Levy, so that's these are these would be like a number of the points you would have to think if somebody wants to use that hetza. that's what I would think no.
4: I think so. I think so as well. It's a, and it's a stretch to say by default, everyone is able to, to make such a uh, declaration of themselves and, and make themselves patr from from serving the chametz mitzvah. And there's also other sources as well. The Yushami talks about uh, Asa brings people, even you know, the teachers and the students, no one is exempt from it. The Aruch says that, you know, there's no exceptions in these cases because you can't have a situation. It's a Mishnah where people, there's no exemptions on the chametz mitzvah. So, you know, I'd be open, of course, to ideas of saying that some of kula, school should have such a situation. Um, and, you know, we have very valuable, and there's no doubt, Torah studies, of course, have a very strong value and have a even protective values to Am Yisrael. But uh, we need everyone serving, and we see this right now. We see what's going on in Israel, that uh, we need people. Unfortunately, we're in the matzah, it's not Pasha, we've Hamas in the south, we've got Hezbollah in the north. We have multi-front wars coming, uh, unfortunately, in the coming years. We need to get people fighting. Uh, This is just what we need in order to to live and thrive and survive in Eretz Yisroh.
1: Is there any heave to bury terrorists, according to Halacha?
4: So this is a very sensitive issue, but if you look in the and that discussed the whole mitzvah of K'vurah and we talked about the whole issue of uh, the case there is talking about a person who was executed for the death penalty I mean this is not a exotic by any means right it's a russia but nonetheless, uh, we say the person should be buried. So I think that we should bury terrorists, uh, because all human beings are created, and we have to uh, bury people. I don't think we should give them glorious burials, or any form of glorious burial spots, and they could be anonymous, and, and we shouldn't do anything that would allow any form of glorification uh, of, their, of their bodies, of their lives, and anything along those lines. But uh, they need to be buried, they need to be buried, that's what we, that's what we do, we bury people. But is that what the Israeli army does? The Israeli army buries people, they bury all the terrorists, and they also use it as a, uh, uh, ultimately, for a bargaining chip. Meaning at some point when there will be exchange of prisoners or exchange of casualties, so the Israeli army will send back those bodies, we have uh, no need for them, or whatever's left of them at that point, and uh, in order to bring do, bring back our soldiers, and be mechayim the mitzvah uh, of meis mitzvah. So that's what we do. Um, and I think it's it's important that we do it. It's important that also we recognize for ourselves that uh, all humans are humans, and they have a certain amount of kavod that we have to give, even though they've been mahala, so to speak. They're tzelamelokim. Uh, but but that's what we do, and I think that's the right policy.
1: Is there any you wrote a sefer on, on the halachas of war? Can you share with us maybe an interesting halacha that we don't we're not aware of?
4: Wow. Um, yeah. No, it's. Uh, it's a, it's been an interesting exploration where I've seen the different uh, ideas that've come out. I, I think the idea that I mentioned beforehand about the the siege is is pretty interesting because it actually came up to uh in 1982 when Israel laid siege on Beirut, and this was July 1982 when and Shlomo Goren, then the Ashkenazi Chief Rabbi of Israel, came out a public declaration and said that Israel's chayev to allow for uh, people to leave. They can't. Uh, close it up all, on all four sides. And Rav Shoshua Yisraeli at all, and uh, Rav Shoshua came out and said, what are you talking about? This talking about Rav Shoshua, he's from the Rav Mitzvah." And I, I think it was a very fascinating Machloket because there isn't that much that's been explicit about this, but Rav Gorn is very insistent that this is a bonafide halacha. And Yisraeli said back to him, this is not a bonafide halacha, ba-yami. this is a Deah, but, but it doesn't apply in all circumstances. And I, I, what I'd like to say from this machlokas is actually that you see that there's a principle. The principle is of trying to reduce the amount of harm as much as possible while we try to win the war, which, of course, is the number one priority. And we have to apply that in very careful ways in different areas. Because when I tell people about the fourth side of the siege, they always say to me, oh, this is, you know, this is Ammabaysa. There's no way this can be done, this is uh, one of those interesting halachot, but it's uh, not something you can implement in practice. And in fact, the Israeli army did uh, do that policy to have an evacuation uh, corridor out of Beirut, and Rav Gorin has said to be a great Kiddush Hashem, that uh, we prevent a lot of people from dying because of that. So I think that, that was one of those examples where I felt like, wow, this is really uh, an interesting uh, halacha that uh, is not well known, let's put it that way.
1: Paul? Well, Alright, uh, Brody. Thank you very much for your time, and we're eagerly looking forward to seeing you sefer.
4: Thank you so much, and uh and should be and we should win this war decisively, and we should destroy all of our enemies, and bring back all the captives uh, safely, and all the soldiers go home, so come home safely as well.
1: Amen. Shem. Amen. Call to Bye bye. Call to you. Joining us is Eugene Kantorovich. He's a professor at George Mason School of Law. He divides his time here in Hefner, where 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 uh, he's at the International Law for Kohelet Center. He's an expert on BDS. He's an ec- expert on international law and the Israeli-Arab uh, conflict. He frequently speaks on Fox, CNN. He writes regularly for the Wall Street Journal. He's been cited both in Mishpacha. I my him if he's uh, related to Moshe Feinstein. Who's whose who's, uh, aunt was Kantorovich, he said he didn't know. Welcome, uh, Professor Kantorovich.
3: Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So, Pleasure.
1: just in 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 layman's law, when you say you're, you're an expert in international law and on the Israeli-Arab conflict, what does that mean?
3: Um, then I'm a law professor. I teach and write in international law. I've written many academic articles, uh, published in a variety of peer-reviewed journals about the Arab-Israeli conflict and research and write about it Uh all the time, um, but, but people shouldn't trust someone just because they say they're an expert in international law. Okay, well, I, w- I wouldn't advise that. You should always look under the hood and actually see if there's like uh, if the arguments make sense and if also the support of the. System. So here's
1: the Louis asked our rub this week. Our, we have Rabbi Neumann on. I'd like to ask you hear it from uh, an international point of view. Uh, and this was asked to me by the, uh, an Israeli uh, helicopter general. Right? He said the following: uh, a terrorist. He said it was like could have been for hours. He said trying to get a clear shot of him from the sky. They're following him through signal, and they get a clear shot about him. They're about to pull the, the missile, a Hellfire missile, and he jumps into a taxi. Is he allowed to uh, blow up the taxi?
3: The answer is, as with so many legal questions, uh, it, it depends. But generally speaking, the answer would be yes. Uh, the basic rule is, is this. Uh, you can only attack military targets. So a Hamas terrorist is for sure a military target as are Hamas, you know, uh, facilities, warehouses, uh, storage places. A terrorist is for sure a Hamas member is for sure uh, um, a uh, legitimate target. Uh, you can continue uh, to target them despite the fact that it might cause harm to uh, civilians. So there, there is no prohibition on strikes simply because they would kill civilians, because otherwise pretty much most military operations would be unlawful, especially in dense urban areas. In particular, the fact that that he shouldn't be taking a taxi, Right, and, uh, A Sahal soldier would never do that. He would wait for a military ride because it's an obligation upon combatants to separate themselves and distinguish themselves from the civilian population. But if they fail to do so, on one hand, they violate international law, but they do not immunize themselves. They don't give themselves a shield. Breaking international law and you know using civilian uh, facilities does not um, protect you from attack. So, uh, in general, uh, the taxi would be a valid target. Now, you might wonder how many people are in the taxi. Maybe if there was a hundred people crowded in the taxi, it would be disproportionate. But um, in general, uh, the uh, incidental or what they call collateral civilian casualties do not prohibit a military attack. Otherwise, uh, you know, any war any Western army has ever fought would essentially be impossible.
1: Interesting. Now we know the United States did this in um, Dresden, they carpet bombed Dresden, they b- carpet bombed Tokyo, and then obviously Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Why then is there such an outcry against what Israel? is doing in Gaza.
3: Uh, yeah, and I was Gaza. You, don't need to, you don't need to go that far back, back. That far to you know strategic bombardment, aerial bombardment of, uh, of cities. Even when the United States was fighting ISIS in Syria, um, just a few, you know five six years ago, ten twelve ten to twelve thousand people, civilians, were uh, killed uh, in those wars. Afghanistan, Iraq. All involved uh, thousands and tens of thousands of civilian casualties. Um, it's it's a, you know, the aerial campaign against Libya, the NATO campaign against uh, Yugoslavia, Serbia. So it is essentially impossible to have a um, to have a a, a war uh, without civilian casualties, especially if the enemy actually, instead of trying to protect the civilian, tries to maximize uh, casualties. So the now for sure the listeners have heard much more on the news about Israel's siege of Gaza or Israel's campaign about Gaza than the 240-something-day, 30-day American campaign uh, against ISIS in Syria and the siege of Mosul or the siege of Fallujah, where America blew up 16 mosques, the American destruction of the hospital in Mosul, which was purposely targeted. Um, And, you know, the reason – so – it sounds problematic because there's a focus on it. And if you always zero in on one thing without any context, it's easy to make it problematic. The question is why. Um, I think it's quite clear that in a variety of contexts, in many areas of international law and politics, Israel is treated differently from any other country. And, and it's a pattern. And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but I think uh, the fact that it is the world's only Jewish state and the fact that it re- uh, receives absolutely unique Unique treatment, uh, not in a good way, uh, or probably not coincidental.
1: Okay, well, let's say halakhically, is is a Jewish army allowed to take hostages?
3: Um, so I'm not a person. Okay. law. I'm not okay. Law.
1: Uh, look, can Can the Israeli army take hostages?
3: Uh, Hostage taking is strictly forbidden. Hostage taking is forbidden, but you can, you know, you can take prisoners. And you can you can trade them. Um, that is of course, and that, that is under the law of the war. Whereabouts? Civili-
1: can you take civilian prisoners?
3: You cannot take civilian prisoners. You can only take prisoners who are participating in hostility. Now, Israel happens to have a lot of those already in its custody. Israel has you know thousands of Hamas prisoners. Right. But the point is, you know, normally the idea the idea of taking hostages is that the other side wants them back. Uh, you know, it does not seem that Hamas values its civilians. Particularly, and because Hamas's entire strategy is focused on maximizing its civilian casualties in order to uh, in order to inflame international opinion against Israel.
1: Hmm. Now it's interesting. If you're fighting an enemy who doesn't fight by any laws, doesn't never sign the Geneva Convention, kills you know women, children in barbaric ways, does that give you as a as a, an army leeway to change any of the
3: ways you act? Um, you know, the, the, it may open up possibilities to, uh, for example, prosecute or, or target uh, the enemy enemy as unlawful combatants, similar to uh, you know what uh, the Bush administration was trying to do with al-Qaeda fighters. It does not give you greater latitude in, in terms of civilian population. So the fact that Israel signed the Geneva Convention obligates it in terms of its... Um, treatment of civilians, uh, of but the Geneva Conventions actually give you a lot of flexibility. That is to say, international law, I think, permits Israel to do everything it needs to do, everything it would seek to do. It's only fake interpretations of, of international law. But you touched upon something. There's a basic premise in the international law of war that, you know, because one side violates it doesn't give you a sort of uh, um, does not a, a permit retaliation on the other side. So let's say one side shoots prisoners you can 't go shoot their prisoners. but what's typically contemplated is um, that a party will periodically break international break the laws of war or violate the laws of war sometimes, but keep the laws of war in other times, even Nazi Germany you know, kept the laws of war much of the time they had regularly uniformed combatants, they generally separated themselves from the civilian population they were at least interested in protecting their civilian population. Hamas is something you know quite different. Uh, they have actually hacked or reverse-engineered the laws of war and developed tactical approach, which is actually based on doing everything to exploit Israel's compliance in the law of war and making their entire strategy based on knowing that Israel will, um, will try to follow the law of war and trying to use that as a shield and exploit so, and there is really no good treatment in international law, you know, that not, has, has not been well fleshed out. It's not what the Geneva Conventions anticipated, a side that wouldn't just, you know, sometimes violate them, but would actually base its entire approach on doing international law of war backwards. Interesting.
1: What about um, the treatment of Hamas um, terrorists? If you catch a terrorist, somebody who's decapitated somebody, etc., are you allowed to kill them or you have to take him prisoner?
3: Uh, There's no place for summary execution, but certainly they can be tried and prosecuted for the crimes they've committed, and that does not need to take place in a civilian court. Um, and certainly the death penalty is something that is possible. Israel does have the death penalty for uh, certain terrorist offenses. And there's new legislation being pursued in Israel um, that would sort of simplify uh, the process of prosecuting the several hundred uh, terrorists that were captured in the aftermath of, uh, uh, of October 7th. It is a crime. Normally, if you capture a soldier who's a lawful combatant, you can't prosecute them. But soldiers have protection, but the fact that you're fighting in a lawful, regularly constituted army, even if it's on the side of a, an aggressor or, or a country that otherwise active, in violation of international law, gives you protection. You cannot prosecute enemy soldiers, but terrorists do because they're not lawful soldiers. They're not fighting in accordance with the law. You can, in fact, try them uh, and punish them.
1: Yeah, but here's the problem. Okay, so Israel does not believe in capital punishment. So you have terrorists who that's
3: not actually that's not necessarily true. Well, they did execute
1: Eichmann. He's the, the, the first or last person they executed, right?
3: But the death penalty is not against Israeli law. The death penalty is available for certain kinds of offenses.
1: But but they it don't enact it. it. Don't. Bottom line is Because it. It
3: The bottom line is they have an, and, and Right, so here's
1: the problem. One, so one, of the, one,
3: of the qu- one of the questions is whether October 7th... Everyone says October 7th changed a lot of things, have given people a new realization. Right now, lots of... the several bills being put forward in the Knesset that will allow for prosecution of these terrorists, and you know clearly allow for the
1: death penalty. But well, until now, it hasn't happened, and I, I would venture to say, realistically, it's not going to happen. Just just imagine the scene, you know, the public killing, and what with a billion and a half Muslims are going to, you know, the, the 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 reaction, right? It's just I don't see it happening from a practical point of view. So I'm an Israeli soldier, and um, I've just captured a terrorist who just decapitated a, a number of women, children, etc., right? I know he's going to be go to jail, and I know he's going to get released together with his 500 or 600 brethren when they try to get the hostages back. So do I kill him or do I say I'm going to respect the international law? I know he's going to be let free to kill more people. What do I do?
3: That's that's not a legal question. That's a, that's a moral. So uh, what would? Well, question. But I would. Say, I don't think the position of the soldier is the relevant question. The relevant question is the position of the government. You know, we've we gotten ourselves into this situation because uh, you know there are several identifiable mistakes on the way, and certainly the girard Shalit deal. Trading, uh, you know.
1: It's a terrible, terrible mistake.
3: what was a big part of the mistake. And, 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 and I,
1: negative, it was negate halacha, too, by the way. Flamingly negate halacha.
3: At the time, I don't recall so many people being so critical of it. Whatever we've learned, we should now see that it was a mistake. And I think, you know, what, there are several questions about what's changed. You know, it's easy to criticize from uh, outside, but, uh, you know, I think the question has, has you know, we, the changes to look for is the government needs to be quite clear about committing to not do these kind of um, crazy trades. Actually, trading right now might be in a bit of a different situation, because actually it's not clear if the Hamas terrorists are better off in Israeli prison or in Gaza. But um... The In general, the, these kind of trades showed that Israel could be blackmailed and exploited um, and, and, and helped uh, fuel, uh, you know, give Hamas the inspiration. By the way, it wasn't just Israel. Right? A few weeks ago, a few months ago, pardon, the Biden administration ransomed four, I believe, American hostages for $6 billion.
1: Terrible, terrible press.
3: You know, that the West can be exploited. But again, you know, by the way, when you say it's
1: new, when you say this is new and we're looking back, the, the Gemara. In, in it's a Mishnah, it's not, the, it's not a Gemara, it says you don't why? Because they're going to take more and it, right. it just gives them, so this is not new, it's very old and this is going back to a time when, when, when hostages were ransomed very commonly and they said we don't do it right, and the Rishayim say even pikuach nefesh, right, possibly Tysis disagrees but it's not brought lalach to Tysis, etc it's certainly not in this case where you're releasing right from, so I don't think there was anything new about it, It was something very old about it and and and, and, and to me, it was open and shut. But regardless, um, I'm that soldier, and I'm looking at this terrorist, and um, I know um, after everything said and done, there's going to be 600 of them.
3: I want to push back on this. I know, you know, uh, we should not take that for granted. That what? You know, we're not the we're not the soldier. We're the public, and I think you know it's crucial to, you know, demand that such deals not be made. I don't think it's obvious. The but they, they may not do
1: so let me ask you, they, they're not going to do a thousand anymore for one. But if they want to exchange 200 of these murderers for 200 hostages, they're going to get them.
3: Uh, right now, by the way, like I said, it's not clear that the uh, terrorists would be worse off in uh, Israeli prison than, uh, than in Gaza.
1: I, I agree with that. The bottom line is I'm the soldier and I have to say I'm looking at somebody who's a, who's a mass murderer who's going to get released and I have the ability to kill him now. I know you, you're 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 a lawyer and you can't answer this question. But to me, if I was that soldier, I'd really struggle with it.
3: You know, I think think, uh, the soldier also thinks about a lot of other things, like the fact that he'll likely be punished for this action, as as has happened. And, you know, I don't think it's fair to put it on the soldier. uh, It's the responsibility of the government to make sure that these people are punished, that they don't get out. And that's why I agree that there's going to be significant diplomatic obstacles to the prosecution of these terrorists. But it needs to be something that the public is absolutely insistent on. Because, in fact, in fact there are, it is hard to otherwise ensure that they will not at some point be set free, if not in an exchange, then in an amnesty for you know, being in you know, a medical release or, or, or something else. And you know, the, we, these are the worst crimes since the Holocaust against the Jewish people. Uh, the Hamas acted in many ways worse than the Nazis. Uh, right, the Nazis did not, fil- you know, did not um, film their atrocities for public consumption. Right? They were afraid the German public would be turned off if they actually saw what was happening, unlike Hamas, which puts it on their, uh, on their YouTube and the Telegram channel. So they needed to be punished you know, in a manner comparable to how the Nazis were punished, with, with trials, um, you know, and it, there's going to be evidentiary difficulties. It's hard to know uh, who did what. But... Um, But that's an essential component of basic justice. And it should not be the responsibility of individual soldiers. It's the responsibility of the Israeli government.
1: Okay. Um, If you were were a judge and an Israeli soldier did kill the guy, he said, look, I know he's getting released. He's a mass murderer. Who would you say?
3: I don't think judges can't. Again, it's the same answer. Judges can't take these things into consideration. It's the job of the government. Right? What, what, you're, 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 you're talking about a model in which hard choices have been devolved onto low-level actors who shouldn't have to take responsibility. Right? The question you know, the question: why would they be released?
1: Because, because there's a billion and a half Muslims and six million that, Israelis. That's why.
3: That's not, that's not a reason. I think most Muslims don't care about this at all. And I can tell you the reaction from the West has been stronger than the reaction from the Muslim world. Okay, another That's question. Actually, you know, I, I can I, I can tell you the Prime Minister of Canada is saying harsher things than uh, you know than, than the uh, King of Saudi Arabia. Hmm. There's diplomatic pressure, but it doesn't say anywhere that you have to listen to diplomatic pressure. diplomatic pressure. You know, the question is, what are the levers? What leverage does the Prime Minister of Canada have over Israel? Really, not much. So, you know, principally the leverage is that we seem to care.
1: Well, I, I would say that. World opinion is very important when you get, you're buying your weapons abroad.
3: Well, that's your, economy, that's your economy good. is the
1: contingent good. on you know, trade with other countries. Like we don't, we don't live in a vacuum. Israel is too tiny. It's not like Russia that could say we'll just live in our own vacuum.
3: Um, I can tell you that there's not a serious prospect of international trade sanctions. Trade sanctions are hurtful to the countries imposing them. That's really not something we're, we're dealing with. But at a certain point, you need to have you know, your, your priorities straight.
1: I, I can I could just see the spectacle of an execution of a terrorist. That's you, that's you there, know
3: there would be there, there, there would be a, a lot of commotion. And can you also imagine and I, these are hard these are hard choices. Also imagine the spectacle of the non-execution of a terrorist of someone who we know committed those crimes on October 7th living to a, a, a ripe old age or not being fully punished.
1: Yeah. Do so we have to bury uh, enemy combatants Hamas terrorists who are were you know, we're killed.
3: Um, do we have to bury them? You, you, what, what you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to uh, treat their bodies in an undignified fashion. What we don't have to do is uh, you know, give, them, give them access to those bodies um, if, the, if, you know, upon demand.
1: So is would, would it, would, is Israel required to bury them? That's that's just a, that's the question. But uh, a, yeah, a lucky question I, I, as well no, as a legal no, I, question, right away. No, no,
3: I I told, I told you the legal answer. The, what the the law does not speak of like burial versus cremation. But like, you see what I mean? You're asking a specific uh, question. That you know the law. The, international law is not like uh, the Shulhan It doesn't have like a detailed answer about everything. Huh? You're not allowed to treat the bodies in an undignified manner. That's an international law says. Yeah. What, what if they're Buddhists? What if they want to be cremated? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You're asking all the international legal questions. But, uh, you know, you didn't ask the basic question why should we care about international law?
1: Because um, to me, it's, it's so glaringly obvious, I'm afraid to say.
3: Oh, why it's we should it. care about it.
1: Why I think it's so obvious why we should care about it. I mean, we live in an international community. We, we rely on other people for, I mean, cut off America's ability to, you know, America stops arming Israel and they could put a, a lock on the front door. And we, we but live in
3: But, but what does that have to do with international law?
1: Well, you start violating international law. You become a bad actor.
3: Really? Yeah. But America has very good relationships with countries that violate international law. And on the other hand, Israel for example, is not violating for example, Saudi Arabia.
1: Um, that's because that's yeah. because Saudi Arabia holds the, the oil hammer over their head. Oh, so okay.
3: So, but now now you've changed the statement.
1: No, no, I'm saying that you you can be a bad actor if you have if you're if you're a big enough actor if you're a heavyweight. You, yeah. What do you tell, a, a, What do you give an 800 pound gorilla? You know,
3: you're worried about sanctions. But let me get back to my business. I I think there's good reasons to, to follow international law, but we should not expect that following international law is going to give us good relations with these countries that you think we're dependent on. And I'll give you the proof. Israel is in fact following international law, and it is, not gener- it is not being treated as a good actor by many countries that should know better, not because they are or are not following international law, but because they have other independent ideological, domestic, political, and other reasons for doing so. Which means Israel inter- right, you, you, we should, Israel should not be like Charlie Brown and the soccer ball, right? In the Charlie Brown comic strip, There's this girl Charlie Brown wants to be friends with and play football with, Lucy. And uh, she keeps inviting him to play football and removing the football at the last minute, and he falls on his head. It's like a running joke in Charlie Brown. And, uh, you know, international law is the football. We want to, like, really nail it. And they, they, they pull it out because we're not being judged by standards of international law. We're being judged by standards that are invented anew every day to fit particular
4: political ends.
3: Uh, now, which means it's essentially a diplomatic question, and the judgment is a diplomatic one, whether it is, whether, whether it is worth you know, risking the ire of these countries. And, but now, I don't think we're actually anywhere near dire political consequences with America, because President Biden is, in, you know, he, the reason he's zigging and zagging, sometimes saying he, you know, he supports Israel, no ceasefire, but yes, humanitarian pause. The reason he's zigging, zigging and zagging is because for, for the Democrats to win the election, he needs all of the Jewish vote. And also, all of the progressive and Muslim vote. So he can't lose the Jewish vote. He can't be seen as being hard on Israel. And he can't lose the Muslim vote. Either. He can't lose the progressive vote. He means all of both in what's going to be a close reaction. That is determining the U.S. response, not anything about the Geneva Convention. It also implies, and I learned from this, that in fact... You know, the U.S. has uh, less of a credible threat against Israel than it would seem because if Biden were to come out in a sort of obvious and clear way against Israel, like cutting off arms, uh, it would be extremely politically costly for him.
1: You know, I know Biden pretty well. I know him for years. I've had dinner with him, lunch with him multiple times, right? He's a wonderful human being, and I think that the, the, the backbone of his support for Israel is, comes from a, a place of goodness. It's not coming from a political place.
3: Uh, I, would, I would really like to believe that, I would also, you know, but I would also point out even and if and is not necessarily the only one making the decision. There's the State Department, there's the bureaucracy, there's the generals, uh, and they all have a, a significant role. It's really not quite clear how, much, how significant Biden's decision-making or agenda-setting is in this process.
1: Okay. Well, well, thank you very much for your time.
3: Okay. Great pleasure. Take care.
1: Take care